0: This is the Goat Level Podcast with your host, the GOAT, the legend, the hero, Van Pugh. Praise God. Tennessee football, come get your fans. Please, they are wildin'. Y'all better go get them before we hurt their feelings. Well, well Too late, because and Riley already bodied them. He destroyed them. So only have to say, but so much. But seriously, though, before this little conflict happened between OU Twitter and Tennessee Twitter, I wasn't thinking about Tennessee. I was looking at the schedule. I'm worried about the Army game. I wasn't even thinking about Tennessee at all. I'm sure a lot of people weren't thinking about Tennessee. Because the last two times we played them, we beat them. If you don't know by now, I'm an OU fan, OU alum. And I don't really worry about Tennessee, but now they're on our minds, and it's definitely on my mind, and I'm annoyed. Because it ain't that good, okay? Especially lately. I can't believe it. I mean, Blink and Riley on Twitter was annihilating them. Stats after stats after stats. Oh my gosh. And if you look at Winsopedia, If you look at winzapedia.com and you compare Tennessee and Oklahoma, it's not even close. Three wins to one. We won the last three games. We beat them in every single category except bowl games where we're tied. Every category. Better all-time record. More national championships. More conference championships. By a lot. More wins all time. Better bull record. More consensus All-Americans doubled their amount. Seven Heisman winners, they have zero, and they had paid Manning. <laughs> um, more draft picks. More first-round draft picks. More weeks in the AP poll. More weeks at number one. It's 100 to 19 in that stat. Are these people serious, bro? They don't know what they messing with. And when they come to Norman, their team is going to get killed. Their, be- their best excuse is, uh, oh, we had the wrong coaches. We had Butch Jones coaching against OU. So, of course, you beat us. Okay, That still doesn't say anything good about your program because you don't have an AD to hire the right coaches and your coaches can't find the right players and coach them correctly to beat teams like Oklahoma. Come on. Starts at the top. That ain't our fault. It's just incompetence. You can't talk about us, but all I'm going to say is your team's trash. They trash. They lost to Georgia State. Can I mean, Kansas State, you talk about the Kansas State game. That's your comeback, right? Well, we only lost by seven. Oh, you, you say that's your comeback because we were favored by the same amount to beat Kansas State as y'all were favored to beat Georgia State. But, first of all, we were on the road. Second of all, I don't know why y'all was favored that much to beat Georgia State. I mean, okay, maybe I do see why I was favored to beat them by that much. But look, Kansas State is way better than Georgia State. It's a difference between playing in Manhattan and playing at home versus freaking Georgia State. Okay, that's not this. That's not even a comparison, bro. And by the way, your only meeting against Kansas State, you lost. So you can't even talk about Kansas State. I can't believe you. And this all started because Oklahoma Football Twitter, the official Twitter account, was posting about the program's greatest comebacks. And the Tennessee game just happened to be one of them. Okay, Tennessee fans, maybe some may have paid attention to that. And then one of the OU coaches commented about it. I guess one of the big Tennessee Twitter accounts got wind of it, and then they lost their minds. I'm like, man, y'all suck, and your team trash. So don't even talk. I don't want to hear. And y'all talk about the LSU game, that's when things really just got out of control, when y'all talked about the LSU game. You talk about the LSU game, how you going to talk about the playoffs? How are you going to talk about the playoffs? How are you going to talk from outside of the club you can't even get in? What? You can't even win a conference championship. You can't even get to the SEC championship. And you talking about us in the playoffs? You can't even get there. You can't even finish top three in the SEC East. And the SEC East is worse than the West. The West is carrying the entire conference in football, but you want to talk. The last time you beat LSU, it was 2006, and your players celebrated doing the lean-witted rock with it. Please stop. Your team isn't that good, okay? And get ready for a beatdown in September. If you beat us in September, you can talk all you want. But I doubt it's going to happen. So get ready for that L. And then Boston College Barstool Twitter wanted to hop in. I was like, oh, no, no, no. I know. I know y'all ain't talking. I'm like, what? Th- this is exactly what I tweeted. I said, why is Boston College fans talking about anything that's not hockey? Seriously, they have five national championships in men's hockey. They have one in everything else. What? And that's not even, that's five NCAA championships. The rest of their championships came before the NCAA. They don't even have that many conference championships. Are you serious? We got more conference championships in one sport than their whole school has combined. And these fools are talking? Dog, if it ain't about hockey, Boston College fans should not be talking about no sports. Seriously. Stick to academics. Stick to hockey. Stick to the bean pot. Because you're out of your lane. You're out of your lane. You have no women's NCAA titles. Are you serious, bro? Softball and gymnastics, OU, just just lapping y'all. Lapping y'all for eternity. Are you serious? Your football team only has one conference title. 2004. Your basketball team hasn't won the conference since 2004. Y'all were trying to party like it's 2004 with that comment about the playoffs. The ACC is trash and y'all ain't even top 10 in the ACC. Even if you are... You're still light years away from Clemson. So I don't even want to, don't even say anything. Like, seriously, your basketball, your baseball team is probably the worst ever. You've got to be horrible. Dog, your baseball team hasn't been to the College World Series since 1967. Y'all haven't, y'all have only been to the tournament twice since 1967. Are you serious? Even OU has a College World Series title. Come on, man. Y'all got to be kidding me, man. I, I'm spending too much time in Boston College, and they talking about they don't, they don't need to be talking about no football. Seriously. Y'all are trash. All y'all so-called rivals are better than y'all. Virginia Tech is better than y'all. Who else? It don't even matter. <laughs> don't even matter. I spent too much time on Boston College. Man, we ever played him in football, we're going to smack him. This ain't hockey, bro. Sit down. Anyway, my hypothetical game of the week, 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 is 2004 USC versus 2004 OU. Rematch. In this situation, somehow some way beyond anyone's control january 2004 after ou just got smacked in miami in the orange bowl 55 to 19 somehow some way they scheduled to play each other again 2 weeks later but this time the game is in indianapolis in the rca dome it was the rca dome at the time So, looking at the original game, I noticed that OU took the early lead. They were doing good. They were doing great. But then what happened was, they fumbled deep in their own territory, trying to return a punt. And then all hell broke loose. They had the worst second quarter I've ever seen a team of that caliber have. Interceptions. DB's getting burnt. Now, I will say uh, Dan Cody, the DN for Oklahoma, he was getting to Matt Leinart. But he wasn't causing those strip sacks. Like, he could have easily stripped the ball from Matt Leinart a few times. And then there were some other missed opportunities OU had. And honestly, I think USC just rolled that momentum and just ran them out of the stadium. I don't think USC is that much better than OU. Looking at that game, it's just that Jason White was rattled. He had a horrible game, and they turned the ball over a million times. They had five turnovers. USC had zero. But they was moving the ball on USC, and defensively, other than those deep balls to Jared and Smith, oh, my God, Steve Smith killed them. Lindell White killed They kind of held Reggie Bush in check. I mean, come on. And I did this matchup on What If Sports seven times. Best of seven. I like to do that with these hypothetical games. USC won four to three. Now, I will say the USC wins weren't even close. All the USC wins were blowouts. Two out of the three OU wins were close, were nail biters. One was overtime. (sighs) With that being said, this is on the cuff because I haven't come up with a, a score prediction. But looking at the stats, though, OU had more. No, USC had more passing yards. OU had more rushing yards. OU had more total yards. USC was ranked sixth in total offense. USC was ranked third in total defense. And they had like three All-Americans on defense, Um, I I believe so. Um, OU was 14th in total offense and 12th in total defense. They were both undefeated. USC and Oklahoma had four out of the five Heisman candidates. Matt Leiner was player of the year. He got the AP, the Heisman. The Walter Camp and the Manning. Jason White had the Maxwell and the Davy O'Brien. Jamal Brown had the Outland Trophy. USC had four All-Americans, two on offense, two on defense. So it was two on defense. Leonard, Bush, Gog, and Sean Cody. OU had Jamal Brown and Adrian Peterson. A freshman Adrian Peterson, All-American. Oh, and by the way, Adrian Peterson had a pedestrian game against USC. But in this situation... In a rematch, OU got a chance to go back, watch the film. Jason White kind of got a chance to, you know, bask in it and kind of figure out where he went wrong and and see his college career get extended one more game. With all of this in mind, at first I was like, oh, maybe USC will win this game. Thinking about it, and I got 30-27. 2004, OU, winning by three in Indianapolis, game-winning Garrett Hartley field goal, Garrett Hartley field goal as time inspires. and they win. They had to fight for it, but they win. Yeah, okay, it's a little biased with that, but seriously though, looking at looking at the film and stuff, looking at the game on YouTube, I'm like. Um, OU was very capable of beating this team. And they definitely could have. It's just the turnovers. I, it, I don't think USC did anything that special. like Well, other than be fast as hell on offense and have those big gashing runs by their running backs. But seriously, though, OU was... That first quarter showed me that OU could compete with them for sure. And I feel like in a second game, they make the adjustments, the game is closer, and they win in indie. 30-27, to 27 OU. Now, I got a new segment called Celebrity Power Rankings. I'm going to do 10, because I, I just put down a list of all the celebrities I can think of that are in the public eye and that are re- relevant to me. Of course, most of them are in sports, because all I do is watch sports. This week's top 10 celebrity power rankings. Coming at number 10, Beyonce. She was on the song with Megan The Stallion, Savage the Remix. And she went off, giving these uh, women even more hope and confidence. Not that they needed more hope and confidence. but <laughs> But yeah, Beyonce went off. Uh, Number nine, of course, creator of the Savage song, Megan Thee Stallion, killing it with another hot song, putting on for Houston with the Queen of Houston. And now they both, uh, two two of the, the goddesses of Houston, two of the finest women in the world, two of the finest black women in the world, come together and make a crazy song. This is like a a dream come true. (laughs) Number eight is uh, Kendall Jenner. Maybe I could have put Devin Booker on here, but no. Anyway, Kendall Jenner just completed her all-star list of boyfriends and ex-boyfriends. She dated Ben Simmons, and now she dated uh, Devin Booker. She dated a few other NBA players, but I don't have the list with me. It's just crazy though, man. It's just crazy when I saw that list, man. She got a whole squad, bro. It's like I said about these Jenners and Kardashians, man. I be hating on them. A lot of people be hating on them, but they look good, and they good at networking and staying relevant and being, you know, in the in crowd um that they're good at doing that their mom has been was good at doing that and and it just passed on and they're gonna be their family's gonna be popular forever they're gonna have a niche no matter what y'all feel about them a lot of people are gonna like them forever or not forever but at least for another 10 years Bare minimum. Whatever. I don't really I try not to pay attention to them, but I can't knock their hustle. I really can't. Um Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler comes in at number seven. I kind of want to move him ahead of Dennis Rodman, but he'll he'll stay there for now. Um Jay Cutler. He just broke up with Christian. Cavallari or Calaveri. And he looked like a savage in all these clips with him and his uh, interactions with his ex-wife. He's just won't, don't want to like put up with her nonsense half the time. And he just seems like the coolest guy in the room. So his cool points went up, um, how he's handled this divorce and how he just handled things in general. Like, dude is like that. I got to admit, number 6 Dennis Rodman in the last dance, and you know how he was just wildin and everyone was cool with it. <laughs> and he still was pretty good for the 98 Bulls. He dated Carmen Electra and Madonna. I don't know how he got away with going to North Korea and hanging with Jim- Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un. See, I'm just botching everybody's name. Seriously, though. Hey, he probably won't be on the rankings next week, but that's still pretty cool. He's still a legend for all that. I mean, the last dance, bringing out everybody, you know. Um, Number five, LeBron. LeBron, everyone's talking about him because of the last dance. Whenever MJ gets brought up, LeBron's going to get brought up. Because it's the GOAT conversation, the greatest of all time in basketball. And that's always an important com- conversation to have. I mean, the guy is just larger than life. And the fact that he is always in the conversation of greatest of all time just shows how much of a legend he is. No matter what happens the rest of his career, like his status is, as one of the greats is just amazing to look at. It's just amazing to realize you know, and then recently, you know he just talked about controversy with the guy getting shot down south by um by two white men in their pickup truck um he just he talked about that and this controversy with that with Jason Whitlock, but I'll talk about that later you know it just shows that he really cares about these social issues and he's doing what he can to change it so lebron's up there too i probably should have moved tory lanes down but he's number 4 he's killing the ig live gang during quarantine and and people are watching these live performances and all these people um all these women shaking their tails and Singing and doing their talents. And, and guys doing their talents too. It was a nice male singer that came on there and, and did his thing. And <laughs> Tory Lanez was microphone wilding. He basically took what Boozy did. Lil Boozy did. And just took it to another level. And then he performed on IG Live. Like he He liked that. Probably won't be on the list next week either. But... Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Number three, Clay Travis. Clay Travis always fighting with the AKA Corona Bros and the Blue Chat Mark Brigade when it comes to coronavirus. And uh, he's, if you really, really pay attention to Clay Travis, he's not a Republican. He's not a white supremacist. He's not really a Trump supporter. He is a moderate. He's iffy about Trump, if you really pay attention to him. But he will call out I mean he'll call out people who are liberal if he feels they're being ridiculous. And he feel like it's unfair that they're like getting treated a certain way. Like he got a war with uh, Peter King, and this is just hilarious, man. And and by the way, he didn't moved out of Tennessee for now, and he's on he's in Florida. This man is living the life. He got his beautiful wife and his kids, and he moved to Florida for now. And he's on a beach chilling, talking about sports. You talking about the life? That is the life. <laughs> that sounds like my dream life. And I'm sure it took him a while to get there. But I'm not going to lie, man. He, he's killing it in my eyes. Even if a lot of people don't know who he is or a lot of people don't think he's that great. Um. Hey, the dude is killing it, whether you agree with him or not. I always like his self-confidence and his takes on on sports and how he blows up on people he perceives to be idiots. <laughs> I'd be crying man he does not like idiotic people like some people they they literally say some like stupid stuff but then some other people he just overreacting like he sometimes he overreact and call them people idiots but it's still funny <laughs> man number two is future this guy man any type of toxic memes any type of toxic tweet or misogynistic tweet, you're going to see Future's picture on there. And I'd be crying laughing. I mean, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like Future means of kind of bonded men together on Twitter. Now, some women think that's kind of suspect. Even some guys think it's kind of suspect. But it's funny. We just having fun. Maybe the expense of women, but it's it's funny, man. It, it's funny. You always see the, the memes why women deserve less or uh, Future holding the Bible of misogyny, uh, of misogyny and <laughs> Future dressed up as Jesus and saying uh, the girl belongs to the streets. <laughs> Bruh, I don't get tired of any of that. I don't get tired of any of that. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. Even if it's wrong, even if, you know, it, it, it is kind of disrespectful to women sometimes. It, it, even some women, even women laugh at it. Like, it, these memes are hilarious. I'm sorry. Number one is Michael Jordan, of course. He is dominating the headlines. He is dominating everything. It doesn't... It doesn't take much for MJ to dominate the headlines, but this last dance documentary has inspired a lot of people. It's inspired athletes, celebrities, everybody, regular people. It just makes you want to go out and be great and do the things and do and and just kill life, and just kill it in life. And that's just that's just so cool to me, man. Like that's this is so cool. Like MJ is always an inspiration to me, and and definitely to this goat level brand. Like the goat level brand is to be like MJ was with the Bulls. That's pretty much what the brand is. I just had to get the brand out there. <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. The last The Last Dance is amazing. It's only like four more episodes left, but. We're all loving it, and everyone's watching it in the sports world. Just about everybody, and even people who don't really like sports, I'm sure they're pretty interested in it, too. And that's just a win-win for sports and for, for Jordan and the basketball community, and you gotta love it. Especially now, where there's no live sports, you gotta love it. For real. Now, speaking of the last dance, the last dance was, was was cool, you know? It was episode five and six. So you had Kobe, you had David Stern, and of course the sadness because they're no longer here with us. The 98 regular season got kind of fast-tracked after the All-Star Game, because you had the All-Star Game because, you know, Kobe and Jordan kind of meeting up and having fun and going going at each other a little bit. It was cool. The 98... All-Star Game came on ESPN, and that was so much fun to watch. There's so many Hall of Famers and Hall of Fame coaches. It, it, it was just, that was just so much fun. And just Kobe, just, he looked like a kid at Christmas. Like, he was having so much fun. He did some behind-the-back wraparound move, hook shot, and I was just going crazy. I was like, good Lord, this guy's for real. The Lakers had four All-Stars. We got swept by the Jazz, come on now. That's crazy. They showed the Bulls in Atlanta, how they sold out the Georgia Dome, but I heard that the only reason they were playing in the Georgia Dome was because they were building a new arena. Okay, but still, it was smart to put in the Georgia Dome, but some of them seats look horrible. I'm like, how do you watch that? How do you watch that? That's crazy. Mm. The Bulls were like a, a, a popular rock band or, or artist, sold out everywhere they went and big following. I understand, it's, you know, it's like Jordan's last hurrah. You gotta see it. Gotta see it for sure. You also start to see how fame started to get to MJ, and that he's not he's not that much of an extrovert. But like, I can see that. Like he just need time to himself and to kind of recharge and reflect and, and boost himself up after being around all them people and being bar- bombarded with people. It's just I guess the fame is just a little much for him sometimes, and I, I understand. He's human, for sure. He talked about the Blazers series, how a few people talked about how Clyde Drexler was was better or at or the same level as Jordan, and Jordan felt that was disrespectful, and it was just extra motivation. And it's like it brought up a new thing about Jordan holding grudges. Holding grudges it sometimes give him a competitive edge, and I done this sometimes. I've done this many times, especially in basketball hold grudges, silly grudges that don't really mean much, or they're just over-exaggerated. I take that, I use it on the court, and I rage, and I kill it. I've done that before. I've done that before. When you're a competitor, sometimes that's what you need to get going. I completely understand. They also talked about the Knicks and the Suns series in 93. Knicks series is very competitive. Could have went either way. But the Bulls, like I said before, just 1% better. That's all you need to be. You know, if you're this, 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 just just this a little bit better in the fourth quarter in game three and game four, and maybe game five, boom, you got the lead in the series. Then you go back home, up 3-2. Then they punished the Knicks in Chicago and took that series after being down 2 up. I mean, it's just classic Jordan. And then in the Suns series, they dominated game one, and then it was a dogfight from there, from what I saw. But Jordan, he scored like half of his team points, and I think it was game four, and they won. That's crazy. Uh, Game two, he kind of did his thing, and the Suns were close. The Suns took two out of three in Chicago. Like, they were game. Like, they they were in it. They were in it to win it, for sure. Like, Charles Barkley wasn't playing. But, Get too much Jordan. Even Charles Barkley said, that was the first time I said, oh, man. Someone on this court is better than me. Jordan, he admitted Jordan was the better player. But the Suns still could have, they could have took that to game seven. Game six, I mean, we just going to ignore the fact that the Suns had a four-point lead with like 40 seconds to go. They could have easily took that to game seven, but Michael Jordan, too much Jordan, very clutch. What can I say? It just shows, you know, the greatness of Jordan and honestly how the Suns were underrated and could have won a title themselves, but they just... I don't know what it was about them down the stretch. They just couldn't pull it together. They just wanted them teams. They just wanted them teams, man. Kind of like the Thunder and the Rockets. The thing about MJ being a gambler, he went to Atlantic City during the Knicks series, which is crazy, but it's probably blown out of proportion. He say he's a major competitor, not a gambler. I mean, I guess. I guess I can see that, the competitor thing, because, you know, I, I just said it, like, when you're a competitor, you just, it's just some things get exaggerated just for the sake of competition, and you don't want to lose. saw some other things like the Jordan 1s, and um, Jerry Krause being scapegoated, and, well not scapegoated, but that's the wrong word. Pippin and Jordan took another few slights from Jerry Krause and used it as motivation. That's a theme in this documentary. Whatever slight that Jerry Krause gave towards Jordan Pippen, they took it and they ran with it. And that's part of what made them great. I mean, I, I, I mess with it for sure. We talk about the Dream Team controversy and how Isaiah was supposed to be on there. No one knows what really happened. I don't know. No one knows who said what or why Isaiah was off the team. You, you're going to have to ask Chuck Daly. I think Chuck Daly and whoever put the team together, I think they were the main ones behind that. And so we saw the Jordan ones, how it hurt Jordan's feet. And I'm like, oh, no. I was going to buy them, and then they said that. I was like, "Mm mm-mm, I'm a a hooper. I want to buy Jordans and hoop in Jordans. Not walk around with uh, bleeding feet. So I'm just saying. And also with the Dream Team, the Tony Kukoc thing, that got revisited. (laughs) That was another Jerry Carl slight. How he's coming to take Pippen's job and how Jerry Krause liked them and they punished them in the Olympics. But Tony Kukoch definitely, after that first game, he came back firing and he fought, but it just wasn't enough. You're talking about the 10 and 11 best players in the world, ain't gonna beat them. Not just with you. Are you kidding? Well, speaking of Dream Team, the Magic versus Michael trash talk sessions. They were going at it. They were hilarious, man. I can't imagine them playing cards all night and talking all type of trash, man. To be a fly in the wall for those type of uh, meetings, those type of get-togethers, I can't imagine. It's probably a lot of fun. The media is just out of control with Jordan, and uh, Horace Grant got blamed for leaking things to the media and saying things about Jordan. And then you learn about Craig Hodges and his activism and having a problem with Jordan not stepping up for the black community. They had the whole like, um, that's debatable, by the way. I'm not going to get into that. They had the whole thing about the the North Carolina race. I think it was a governor race. You had a black candidate and a white candidate. And the white candidate had a sort of racist past. And Jordan didn't say anything about it. He just but he said Republicans buy sneakers too and you know people didn't like that. And it came up again and he stood by it. And uh Craig Hodges it, it looked like he got blackballed. He probably did. <laughs> because he wore a dashiki to the White House. He advised Jordan and Magic to not play in the ninety one finals to send a message. That this racism and, and black-on-black crime and, and all the issues that plague the black community is just unacceptable. But of course, they weren't going for that. You know, because it's just... It's too controversial. is not PC. That's too much. And so once again, Craig Hodges, that comes up again for those who are interested in that. I mean, I see where Craig Hodges is coming from. That Jordan could have used his influence a little further, a little further to help black people, but he probably done a lot already that no one really talks about. I'm gonna just leave it at that. So, The Last Dance is Fire. Four more episodes. Probably gonna talk about. Probably going to talk about the baseball and Jordan's dad dying and the 96 Bulls, and then we're going to talk about the 98 playoffs, and then that's it. Probably wasn't going to happen. So there's a documentary coming out called Basketball County in the Water. It's a documentary about PG County basketball. It starts out by Quinn Cook saying, all five of the players on my team, made the NBA. I told you. Well, all five, well, not all five of the starters, because two of them didn't make it, but two people on the bench made it, though. Anyway, that, if you know me, if you know me well enough to hear me talk about the 09 9 DeMatha team, then you really know me. Because I talked about the '09 9 DeMatha team several times. I even tweeted about it. That 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 9 team, I will say this though, McNamara played them tough all three times. And, and in the playoffs, they were one shot away from going to overtime. And this is a team with no NBA players and actually an NFL player out of that um, group. That group played them tough. A group... This is what they had on their team, 0-9 to Matha, Quinn Cook, Victor Oladipo, the Grant brothers, Mikhail Hopkins, who went to Georgetown, Nigel Hibbert, who went to Texas A&M, and I think a freshman, James Robinson, who went to Pitt. And then B.J. Anja came later on, but he wasn't on the 0-9 team. And the year before, they had Josh Shelby, who was the number one player in the country. Team was loaded. And, of course, the documentary is going to talk about Beasley and Kevin Durant, how they're two of the best players that come from here. And you got uh, Lawson and Markel Fultz. Man, that you talking about a squad. You talking about there's a lot of good Hoopers from D.C. That's why so many basketball courts around here. That's why... The best competition you're going to get in DC is in your neighborhood. Because them guys can hoop. And them guys don't, don't be playing. When the, when guys, when the best players in your neighborhood really want to ball and really want to play hard and not sit around and and BS and smoke all day, it's over. It's over. You're going to get some really good competition and you're going to have to be tough. Or you're gonna get exposed fast. I've learned that lesson, trust me. But seriously, that's just, I'm just glad there's a documentary outlining the basketball culture in in DC and how it's just very important to come here and recruit in basketball and football because there's so many good athletes here. And there's so many good athletes that don't even play for real, they just be playing, and they're still really good. You got to love it. I I can't wait to see it. It's going to be on Showtime in about a week and a half. I don't know. Depending on the cost, I'll buy it. We'll see. I'm very interested, though. Very interested. So uh, quick takes. Quick takes. So Earl Thomas got that thing with his wife. He got caught cheating, and his wife held a gun in his head. It's insane. And on Instagram, he talked about he tried to get ahead of it, but it just, the damage is done. The damage is done. He's going to get trolled about it forever, to the grave. It's a shame. He already get trolled about the stiff arm from Derrick Henry, Man, just what a 2020 for Earl Thomas's image. Oh man, but it's okay. As long as he's cool with who he is and, and his football career and as long as he's working and getting ready for next season, it don't matter, man. Just go out there and play football. He asked for our prayers and to really and for people to mind their business and not kind of make snap judgments, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but I'll pray for him. I'll pray for him for sure. He at least deserves that. Now, Big Ben, Jay Glazer, uh, Jay Glazer said answer a question from his mailbag talking about Big Ben's off-season fitness program, and he made a joke saying that Big Ben's uh, idea of a fitness program is uh yoga and a beer and chilling on the beach. It sounds like Clay Travis. <laughs> but no, seriously, man. It's no big deal, man. As long as he's as long as he's healthy and got a rocket arm and is accurate and not turn the ball over, fingers crossed for you Steelers fans. Then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh LeBron and Jason Whitlock. I don't know what, what this guy's name is, what this kid's name is. I'm, I'm looking it up. The guy that got shot by those white people, he was unarmed. I can't say specific white people. You know, the guys in the pickup truck that thought he was a robber and, and, and shot him. LeBron, of course, he spoke out about that and he just thought, felt like black people are being hunted. And, of course, Jason Whitlock was like, that's dangerous. That's dangerous to say. That rhetoric is dangerous, and it seems like you're trolling and looking to build a brand and not actually looking for justice. And that did not sit well with a lot of people. No matter what the race was, a lot of people did not like that. I can kind of see where Jason Whitlock is coming from, though. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, he's saying that when you're a person of influence, you really got to watch your words because you don't want to be divisive. You don't want to be... You don't want to incite aggression. Being hunted, those words can get taken out of context and can really get the message lost. And he's saying he's trying to stir up emotion and troll. I mean... Jason Whitlock's treat is kind of like that, too. But I don't... To me, my opinion is it's not that deep. It's not that deep. Literally, LeBron isn't needed to stir up emotion and trouble with this situation because it's already done just by looking at the video and looking at the story. Another unarmed, unarmed black person got shot. Like, that's enough already. LeBron just feel like everybody else. I just think LeBron is just being like everybody else. When you really feel strongly about something, you want to put it on Twitter. You want to put it on social media. Just like you and me. Just like just like everybody else, man. I think that's what it was. He was just reacting to it. And that doesn't mean he can't also go out and try to get justice for... This man who got shot and not much has happened to his killers, who thought he was a robber. Yeah, I mean, he, can, he still can go do something about it. He can use his platform however he wants, just like Jason Whitlock is doing. I mean, I know, I'm sure LeBron knows what watch his words, but... Seriously, though, I don't think it's that deep when it comes to LeBron. Like He talks about the last dance, and he talks about different things he likes on his Twitter. Just like a regular person would. He's not that much different from everybody else. He's just good at basketball. (laughs) He's just good at basketball and have a huge following. That's all I see. Uh, One last thing, Korean baseball. Korean baseball is on. And it comes on like 5.30 in the morning. The opening day came on at 1. They're like 13 hours ahead of us. So that game was like a 2 o'clock game-ish Korean time. And it ain't bad. I mean, I recorded the first game. And it's, it's okay. I mean, it's just like any other baseball game. I have a tough time paying attention to it. And maybe I should record more, but... It's not that big of a deal. That kind of feel for Carl Ravage and whoever broadcast these games because it looked like they sleep schedules are screwed, man. <laughs> Look like Carl Ravage looked really tired that opening game. But the reason why this is getting attention because it's the few live sports we have. But if you look at my reaction, barely being into it and kind of tweeting, treating it like a regular game after the first inning shows you that the return to sports will be overhyped at first, and then everything will be back to normal after a while. I'm just saying. But it's it's cool for the time being, and it's it's a little appetizer before the real, not the real baseball, it's all baseball, but... Until MLB comes back. And I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Anyway. This episode went on forever. But I'm out. Peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Goat Level Podcast. Make sure you share, subscribe, and get money.